Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I'm glad that you're with us too. And with that said, we're going to jump into our text today. We're going to be in chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Go ahead and flip and open your Bibles there. Once you got it, go ahead and stand to your feet as we read the Word of God together. We're going to read that whole uh, chapter, and I like doing this as we read the narrative, as you get the whole context of what's going on. So I want you to listen as I read uh, the text. Observe the words and what's actually going on in this time in chapter 6. If you got it, go ahead and say got it. it. All right, starting in verse 1 of our text, it reads, Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates. Sambalad and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecaphirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner, in the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it too, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. And that is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come on down, Nehemiah, and let us take up counsel together. And then I sent to him, saying, No, such things as you have said have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hand. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in, and I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elo in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid, and they fell greatly in their own esteem. 
for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son, Jehonanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. The very word of God. Amen. Uh, today, I want to preach on finish strong. Finish strong. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, finish strong. Finish strong. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. Now, as I pray each week, God, that you would hide me behind this cross of yours so that I may decrease and that you may increase. Father, we need a word from you, not from me. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. Get glory in this place, Jesus. Fill our hearts with your spirit and open up our hearts to what you want us to hear. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, Amen, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> in the sport of basketball and football, or in fact, many, in many sports, there's this saying of play through the pain. Y'all ever heard that? Play through the pain? Y'all can talk to me. You heard that before? Play through the contact, or I like the words... Finish strong. Finish strong. Sports like football, it's a whole sport that's built around contact. In fact, if you don't like contact, you'll never win a game playing football. And on top of that, if you don't like contact, then you should never step on a football field. Right, Jonah? You should just never play football. But this isn't just with football. Again, there are many sports, so if you don't play sports, y'all follow along with me. I promise I will help you understand what I'm going, where I'm going with this. But many sports, not just football, involve contact, unless it's tennis or golf. And I would argue that the contact kind of makes the sport a bit more fun, Pastor Steve. I, it just makes it fun. It makes the, it makes the competition a bit more fierce. But here's the reality. Even though we play these sports that involve contact, nobody naturally likes contact. Nobody likes getting hit. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I can't wait to play this basketball game. Today. And I hope that they, they flagrantly foul me, intentionally just put me out the game. I mean, it makes no sense, right? Nobody says that. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, well, I, I can't wait to play this football game, and I hope that they crack me so hard on the field that my helmet splits open and I get a concussion and I'm out for the season. That's crazy, right? Nobody wakes up and says, I just can't wait to get punished today. Nobody likes to get hit. But you know the, boggle, the thing that boggles me about this? I mean, even because I was an athlete, you know, we don't like getting hit, but in order to get on the field, you know what we do in practice? 
We practice taking contact, getting ready for the hit. For instance, many of you know, I, I've talked about this before. My daughters, they're, they're playing basketball right now, and they're, they're getting pretty good. Don't tell them I said that. One sitting right here. They're getting pretty good. And one thing I, I, I'm teaching them is that as you're driving to the basket, as you're going in for the layup, don't avoid the contact. Take on the contact. Go through the contact. Finish strong. I want them to finish at the basket strong. I tell them to finish strong. You have to want to score the ball more than the defender wants to stop you at the basket. See, the defender in this situation is at a disadvantage. They, they have three choices that they can make. If she's driving to the basket, as she goes to the basket, the defender, number one, can choose trying to block the shot, probably is going to foul them. And so if you go in strong to the basket and lay it up, drawing the defense and the foul as they hit you, and you go up, you might just get rewarded with an and one. You might hit the basket and get a foul called. But on top of that, even if you don't get the and one, you miss the basket, the referee is most likely going to call a foul, and now you get rewarded with two shots at the free throw line. Secondly, the defender, they could just see you coming down the lane, and like LeBron James coming down the lane, they just move out the way like, I don't want none of that. It's a freight train. I'm good. You go ahead and score that layup. Number three, they could brace for contact as a defender and try to get in front of you and take a charge. But I tell my kids, as long as you're under control and you're going to the basket, you still have the advantage because if they try to take the charge, they got to move where you are, they got to move to get in front of you, and they got to be in the perfect position. So really, in reality, you still win if you're under control. See, here's the reality. Playing through the contact is to your benefit. But here's the but. If you try to avoid the contact, it's going to make your shot much harder. Ah, y'all missing this thing. Because if you, if you try to avoid the, the contact, now you're falling away from the defense and you're throwing the ball up and you're throwing it at the basket and the referee's confused because he's like, I don't know what you're doing. I can't call a foul because the defender is over here and up here and you on the ground throwing the ball up in the air and now, you, now, now you're crying to the referee because you didn't get a foul call. You get no reward and now as a result, you just learn to flop. <laughs> kind of like Steph Curry. I mean, you just... You just, you, just, you just learn to flop. All because you didn't want to take on the contact. And see, here's the problem. Most of the time, when you avoid the contact, or should I say hardship, you miss the reward. Whether that be the basket and an N1, or even two free throws, because they call foul, you miss the reward because you were trying to avoid the contact or the hardship. Friends, hopefully you're following me with this because this is just like life. Life is not easy. And in life, there are hard things and distractions that come our way, and we have to learn 
how to stand firm and finish through the hard things because the reward of the brighter day is always on the other side. So let me ask you, because y'all ain't talking to me this morning, how are you finishing strong in life? Or are you just constantly trying to avoid the contact and the hardships? You see, again, our problem is that we don't like hard times. We don't like threats. We don't like contact. We want life to be easy. And I'm sorry, y'all, that just ain't life. It's not easy. This is why I love the book of Nehemiah, because in this book, he's shown us all throughout the book up to this point and even after this, what it looks like to depend on God when your back is against the wall and you stand firm knowing what he's called you to do. See, just like being on offense, when you're going to the basket and you're playing, you're going to the basket, you got to want to score that basket more than the defender wants to stop you. Friends, as a church, we got to be dedicated to following God more than the threats and the enemies are dedicated to stopping us from moving forward. We got to beware of our enemies and hardships. We got to push through life. Relying on God. And when we do this as a church, I believe that we'll see God do great and amazing things in our midst more than we could ever imagine. So I got three points for you, and I'm out of your way this morning. Number one, beware of enemies and distractions. Beware of enemies and distractions. Number two, beware of wolves. Beware of wolves. And lastly, number three, know the scripture and pray. Know scripture and pray. Now, as we get back into this book, Nehemiah, I got to give you a little bit of review because we've been out of it for a couple weeks, and I want to catch you up to where we are right now. So by way of reminder, as we jump back in, Nehemiah, in chapter one, we see his heart stirred for his people, the nation of of Judah and and his native land, and now Nehemiah hears that Jerusalem's uh, walls have been torn down, they've been broken down, they've been burned down, so he prays for the favor of God on his life, so as he goes to the king of Persia, that he would grant him this passage back to build up the walls of Jerusalem. So the king, with Nehemiah being his cupbearer, notices him one day, four months after Nehemiah prays this prayer, that he's saddened. And he says, what's wrong with you, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah basically looks at the king. He says, look, man, my, my, my nation is in shambles. It's been torn down. The walls have been burned down. And I need to go back and, and build up the walls. Can I have your permission to go back? And the king grants him permission. And against all odds, he makes his way back to the, the nation. And he builds up the walls against all the naysayers, gathers people. And they start this rebuilding process. Uh, Pastor Steve told us in uh, chapter 3 where the premise of the chapter was, unless everybody jumps in and plays a specific role, the nation will not be rebuilt. Essentially, as he said, rebuilding takes everyone. If we want to see our church grow, if we want to see our lives individually grow as we walk with God, it's going to take all of us investing our time, our talent, and our treasure, treasure to the vision of this church and to God. 
Then in chapter 4, as we keep moving, Nehemiah and the workers, they encounter their enemies once again. They're not just talking about them this time, but now they have surrounded them on all sides as we read in the text. But, but, but Nehemiah and his crew, they stand firm, being watchful in their obedience, and they keep on building this wall. We learn that it's not only important to be dependent on God. But one needs to be watchful in their obedience, understanding that there are threats all around you that want to see, don't want to see you prevail. And those threats can be internal within your own heart or in your mind and your thoughts. They can be external with circumstances and people, places and things that you can't control. And they can be Satan himself. We all have threats around us and we got to be watchful in our obedience as we walk with the Lord. Chapter 5, we saw the people starting to oppress each other, which, which is kind of crazy. It didn't make sense that they would start to oppress each other because they just got out of oppression themselves, and then they turn around and they start oppressing each other. Nehemiah notices this, and he puts an end to it. But what we learn is that rebuilding takes justice, and we have to regard other people the same way we would regard ourselves as we work together. We can't lose sight of what we've been saved from or else we forget the grace that has been so willingly bestowed on us to where we now don't know how to love other people the way they need to be loved. Yeah. With all of this, up to this point, what we learn is that Nehemiah, although he prays for the favor of God on his life and he receives the favor of God to rebuild this wall, it does not come apart. From hardships in life. Somebody say nothing good comes easy. Nothing good comes easy. As you heard me say it before, walking with Jesus or walking according to the will of God does not come apart from hardships. And although we hear that believe in Jesus may not be experiencing the same hardships that Nehemiah is experiencing in this text, we all experience enemies and distractions that try to deter us from where God is trying to take us. See, and I believe just like Nehemiah here is rebuilding this wall, we are in a space and time as a people where we're rebuilding the church and we all, in some way or another, need to reorient our lives around the things of God. And I, I said this before, I'll say it again. This is a need coming out of a pandemic. We all were devoted to many other things and looking to other places. It's a need coming out of a pandemic, but even more so, this is a daily need for the Christian. This is something that we need to do on a daily where we constantly repent, saying, God, I'm turning away from this thing, and I'm coming back to you. I, my mind was over here, God, but now my mind is on you. It's like breathing. You breathe out the things that are not of God, and you breathe in the goodness of God. It's a day-to-day -day thing that we do hour by hour, recommitting ourselves to God. That's what we're seeing here. We got to re be reliant upon the God that has saved us. You know why? Because our hearts are prone to wander. So on a daily, even myself, I find myself just hollering out to Jesus. Jesus, I need you, whether out loud or in my mind because of the mess that surrounds me. Amen. The mess that's in my heart. I need Jesus. I had one amen over here. All of us, every one of us in here has mess in our lives. And we all need someone greater 
to depend on. And his name is Jesus. And Nehemiah, he, he shows us exactly what that looks like to rely on God. And so the text today begins by saying that the walls, they're almost finished, but the doors, they're not on yet. And the enemy, one last ditch effort, is like, I, I, I'm going to come back. I, I, I'm coming at Nehemiah. This time, old Sam Ballot and Tobiah and Geshem, they, they don't just want to interrupt the work like they did or tried to do in chapter 4 and destroy it. No, no, no. They want to kill Nehemiah. Because if they take Nehemiah out of the picture, then there's no way that the work will continue because he's the leader. So they want to kill him. They send a message to him saying, come on down to Ono. Come on down, down here to this, this level plane and, and let's have a meeting. Nehemiah knows the plan to distract him from his work and he denies coming down. Which brings us to point number one. We have to beware of distractions and stand firm in God's will. We got to beware of distractions. Listen to me, family. In order to follow God, one has to value the will of God and his calling on your life. You got to value the will of God and his calling on your life where you're not distracted by outside forces and instead you're devoted to God no matter the cost. Hear me, hear me. Anything that is not of God or is different than the will of God, although it may be attractive, it may, be look, may look enticing. Listen, it's a step down and a step away from the Lord. I know I'm talking to somebody in here today. I, I, I know whatever that thing is, whatever that person is in your life, they may look good, it may look great, and you know it's not for you. Beware. Beware. Don't lose your perspective chasing after something that whets your appetite but doesn't satisfy your heart's deepest longing. Let me say it again. I don't want y'all to miss it. Don't lose your perspective chasing after something that only whets the appetite but does not satisfy your deepest longing in your heart. Don't lose yourself. Beware. Beware. As we get into this text, you got to love Nehemiah because he doesn't give attention to things or people that are not worth his time. He says, verse 3, after receiving this message, that I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. He said, why, why would I stop what I'm doing right here, which God has called me to, when, when I already know from the past that, that, that y'all, y'all don't have nothing good for me. You're trying to tear down what I'm doing. Why would I come down to you? This makes no sense. They've already tried to mess him up. He's like, no, no, no. Why would I do that? But hear me, sometimes, and I got to say this because this, this is our issue. We give too much attention to things and people that we shouldn't. See, the figurative Sambalots and Tobias of the world. Although we know they're harmful, they come in different shapes, different sizes. They come at us in different ways. And sometimes we give in to them knowing that what they're offering isn't good. I got a few amens, but I'm going to step into your kitchen a little bit here. It's it's like you, you know that that man, that woman that you're looking at, I'm in somebody's kitchen, they look good. 
And you're like, man, I know, that, I know, I know they're not good for me. But, but you go ahead and date them anyways, and then you end up hurt. Uh, or or maybe, maybe, maybe this is you. You're like, man, this job looks great. It, it's a step up for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make more money. But the thing is that if you take this job, it may not be good for your heart. You, you take that job, it moves you away from your community. It moves you away from everything that's been stirring your relationship with God. And now you may be making more money, but now you're on an island and unfulfilled. Mama used to tell me, he said, D, everything that glitters ain't gold, honey. Everything that glitters ain't gold. Family, we got to beware of distractions and stay focused on God because when we don't do this, in turn, it takes away from our attention and where it should be, which is on the Lord and what he's called us to do. Nehemiah says to his enemies, why would I leave this work to come down to you? Y'all ain't worth my time. Now, remember I told you in chapter 4 that this opposition is surrounding, literally, outnumbering Nehemiah, and they're on all sides of the land. They're, they're, they have him surrounded on all sides. But in chapter 4, Nehemiah holds on strong, and, 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 and the Lord fights his battle. And here, too, he's still surrounded by his enemy, but he stands his ground being firm in his faith in the Lord. See, he knows his position as a son of the Most High and his calling from God. Now, the text says in verse 4 that they sent letters to Nehemiah four times. Not one time, not two times, not three, four times. And Nehemiah replies to them the same way each time. Family, listen, sometimes, although you may be outnumbered and it seems like the walls are closing in on you where there's one hard thing after another in your life. You have to remember your position as a believer and who you serve. You got to remember that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, which means when you believe, although hell may be surrounding you and breaking loose in your life, God still got you in the palm of his hands. He's still holding on to you. Sometimes you just got to stand firm, stand strong when it seems like everything around you is wrong, when it seems like all these things are breaking loose in your life and everything in society is saying you shouldn't do this. Sometimes you got to stand up strong. I, I think of old Mamie Till, the mother of Emmett Till. When Emmett Till would go down to Money, Mississippi and visit his cousins at 14 years old, he'd go down there and supposedly he whistles at a white woman. And because of that, he's taken out of his bed in the middle of the night. They beat him badly. They shoot him in his head. They lynch him and then they tie a cotton jan fan around his neck and let him drag down the river only to rot there. And his mama said, no, no, we ain't giving up the search for my son. So she keeps searching for her son. They find him and they say, well, we're going to bury him here. She said, no, 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 y'all going to bring my baby back home to Chicago. She said, that's not going to happen. The Woodline native of Chicago said, even on top of that, we're not going to bring him back to Chicago. We're going to have an open casket funeral so the world can see what they did to my baby. This is against all odds. Yes. People told her, you shouldn't do this because of racism and the strife and all. You shouldn't do this. She said, no, the world is going to see what they did to my baby. And don't you know, this sparked the civil rights movement. 
Many of the rights we have today because of this, oh, y'all still not following me. I think of Miss old Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, who said, I had a long day at work, and she gets off work. She says, look, I'm going to take the bus, but she gets on the bus, and she says, I'm not going to the black-only section. I'm sitting in the first seat that I see because I'm tired. She sits down. White man gets on the bus. She says, no, I ain't moving, honey. I'm tired. I'm staying here. They come and take her and arrest her, take her to jail, put her in jail. And don't you know, because she stood firm, the bus boycott starts, starts, starts and almost starves the revenue to the buses because black people were the main riders, which meant that they had to t overturn all the laws so that we can ride the bus. But y'all still missing this thing. I think of Jesus. Jesus, who instead of closing his mouth because all the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time said, you need to close your mouth and get in line. He said, I ain't come to do your will. I came to do the will of my father. Because of that, he takes on the sins of the world on the cross. He didn't shut his mouth. He stood there and justice rained down on him so that we can have life if we believe in him. Y'all hear me? Sometimes you just got to stand strong and stand firm. I got to ask you, what Sanballat's hardships, temptations, distractions are staring you in the face right now where you have to make the hard decision to stand firm against all odds? Sometimes you got to be strong. Even though people and circumstances may say otherwise. You have to know who God has called you to be as his son or daughter. And remain strong in the faith. Stand firm. Stand firm. You see, the problem is sometimes... When you stand firm, it gets harder before it gets better. Mm, some of y'all know what I mean. Sometimes your enemy just gets more angry. They get angry and the haters come out full force. You know why? Because they're not able to rock you. They can't get under your skin. So, so, so it gets harder before it gets better. And watch what happens, because y'all don't believe me. Watch what happens in the text. Verse 5, Samballot has already sent four letters, and Nehemiah denies all of them. I'm not coming down to you, but now he sends another letter, and this time, the fifth letter, he sends an open letter. Now, let me break this down a bit for you, because usually what a messenger would do when they're delivering a letter is that they would guard this letter or this message with their life, because it was only to be read by the specific person that it was addressed to. And so the, the, the sender would take out the letter, and once they're done, they would roll it up, and they would seal it, and they would then, then take some hot wax and drop it onto the seal, and then they would press their signet ring with their signature into it and let it dry. And this kept the letter secure as it traveled from place to place. And if the letter arrived to the recipient, unsealed where this seal was broken, then they knew that the letter was not secure anymore. So that's what would normally happen. But here in the text, this letter is unsealed, which meant that 
the messenger, as he travels from Samaria to Jerusalem, can share this letter with any and everybody he wants to. He can read it in the middle of town square. He can come on over to his boy's house and be like, look what Nehemiah said, y'all. Look what's going on with him in the land. He's letting everybody see this letter. So hopefully you're following me with this. Sambalat is trying to destroy Nehemiah and his character. Look at what he says in the letter, verse 6 through 7. In it was written... It's reported among the nations, and Geshem, the other guy, hating on him, also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now, come and let us take up counsel together. Come on, Nehemiah. Y'all, my man Sam Ballard is reaching. I mean, major haterade right here. Like, come on, Nehemiah. He, he's trying to destroy Nehemiah. He, he's not only sending a letter that's slandering Nehemiah, but he's spreading that Nehemiah is trying to rebel against the king. Y'all, this is a major accusation here. The king himself could come out and kill Nehemiah, and if he didn't, one of his boys or the guards could go out and kill Nehemiah. And if that didn't happen on the other side of the coin, all of these people that are following Nehemiah right now could rebel and say, well, we're with you, and then they can go try to take down the king. None of these situations are good. So my man Nehemiah, verse 8 says, look, you're lying. In fact, you're inventing all of these things out of your own mind. Then my man Nehemiah does what he does best. Verse 9, he prays. He prays for the strengthening of his hands to do the work. But really what he's saying is, Lord, give me the strength in my heart to stand firm and work in the midst of my opposition. I can't do this on my own, Lord. This is getting out of hand. I need you, God. Give me strength to keep going, although there's opposition. Again, family, you have to remember your position as a son or daughter of God and stand firm. Listen, you, 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 can't, you can't care so much about what people think about you or you'll never give them what they need to hear or get from you. Let me say it again. Y'all missed that. You can't worry or think about what people think about you so much, or you'll never give them what they need from you. You, you got to watch how you give in to criticism and people-pleasing. You got to beware of doing that all the time, because one... If you give in to criticism and you give in to people-pleasing all the time, you will never fully follow the Lord. And two, you will live an unfulfilled life because you never got out of life what God wanted for you. Now, hear me. That's not some prosperity line where I want y'all to tweet it and stuff like that. No, no. This is about calling. As I told you a few weeks ago, if I had listened to all of the naysayers that came around when Kaylee and I were trying to start this church, 
They said there ain't no way that you can start a multi-ethnic church in one of the most divided cities in America, especially a black man who's going to preach to people who don't look like him on a daily basis, especially white people with all of the history of America. If I would have listened to all of those people saying these things, then there would be no church. Sometimes, family, you just got to stand firm in the face of your opposition and continue to push forward, remembering who God has called you to be as his child, which means he's got you. He's got you. Martin Luther King, he says it this way. I love this quote. He says, seldom, if ever, do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticism that crossed my desk, my secretaries would be engaged in little else in the course of the day, and I would have no time for constructive work. Just think if he gave in to the criticism. Where would we be? I'm pretty sure there wouldn't be many churches that look like this. Listen, believers have to stand firm. And be secure in their faith despite the opposition. Eric Mason, a pastor in Philadelphia, mentor of mine, he says this. We can't rebuild and be a part of God's kingdom building process if we're going to walk in unbridled insecurity. Think about that. If we're going to be the church and believers that God has called us to be, then we have to be secure in Jesus. We have to make him our focus, not just on Sunday morning, but all times. Nehemiah shows us what this looks like, but sadly, y'all, it's not the end. The enemies still keep coming. Verse 10, Shemaiah the priest, y'all, this messed me up a bit. The priest tries to get Nehemiah to come into the temple with him. And it sounds like a God-ordained plan, like I'm going to go into the temple, we're going to be protected. The problem is that at the time, according to God's law, if you're not a priest, you're not allowed inside the temple. People were allowed in the temple courts outside of the temple, but unless you're a priest, you can't go inside of the temple because then you're disobeying the law of God. So you could be killed right there on the spot when you walked into the temple or outside by the people who said you disobeyed the law of God. Nehemiah knows this because he knows the word of God. So he says, what do I look like going into the temple and then living? In other words, why would I go in there knowing that I'm going to die as a result? Remember, I told you a few weeks ago that you got to watch those closest to you when it comes to threats. This is a priest. A priest literally trying to set Nehemiah up to be killed. But Nehemiah knows the word of God. Listen. As believers, if we do not know the word of God, we can easily be picked off like sheep that have wandered away from the flock and now eaten by wolves. Nehemiah is able to call out the scheme of a priest 
someone who he should trust and be able to, he's able to call out his scheme because he knows the word of God just like the priest. Again, this priest, and I got to say this, you got to beware, family, of wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Jesus says, Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. So let me rewind this again. This man, verse 10, is thought to be a priest and says, come on in, Nehemiah. Let's go into the temple, the house of God to pray because they're trying to kill you. But in reality, it's a setup. Nehemiah's like, no, 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 I, I know the word, and basically says, what, I, what do I look like running from this guy, and why would I go into the temple and lock myself up? And now he realizes that this is a scheme, he's trying to be set up. Y'all, this priest is a wolf in sheep's clothing. You got to watch the wolves in your life, because most of the time, listen to me, they don't come out like ravenous wolves. Jesus said that's inwardly. Most of the time, they look like sheep. Beware. All right, y'all not feeling this. This is the guy or girl that says, I like you, I want to date you, and I'll go to church with you, but in reality, they just want to sleep with you. Ah, I heard some oohs. This is the person that, that says, you can trust me, I'm your, I got your back, you my... You, I'm your road dog. You're my boy. You're my girl. I got you. But as soon as this opportunity for in, individual achievement or something comes up, they stab you in the back. Mm -hmm. This is the person in the church that says, you, I, I trust you and the vision of the church. But in any given moment, they're undermining the vision, the pastor, the leadership all the time. They don't give. They don't serve. They just fill a seat and do nothing but complain and stir up division. Those are wolves. See, this is the person you thought you can trust. I got your back, but in the end, they just hurt you time and time again. You got to watch out for wolves because you know what wolves do to sheep? They eat. We got to beware of wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. Listen, everybody that says they're for you is not always for you. And the people that you think, sometimes your family, sometimes your friends, your teachers, your children, it's not all the time, but sometimes they can be a threat to what God is doing in your life. And the wild thing about this is that, and y'all might not believe me, the wild thing about this, you keep on reading the text, verse 14, Shemaiah is not the only priest that's after Nehemiah right now. There's a whole bunch of prophets and prophetess, and he's like, God, God, ward them off from me, get them away from me. Y'all listen, as a church, and I know this is tough, but we'll get those figurative Sanballat letters from all angles. And if we're not aware of the distractions as well as the wolves that are around, we won't make it. Better yet, we'll get eaten alive. Beware and stand firm. And let's build together. Let's build. This all brings us to our last point of how. How do we finish strong? We see all the issues and the problems and distractions and enemies around us. 
But how do we finish strong in that? God wants, regardless of the enemies and distractions, for believers to finish things when he calls you to do something. The whole finish strong comment didn't come in today's society, didn't come about because of sports. No, this starts with the Lord. God wants you to finish strong in all you do in life. The key to this and finishing strong means that is that, that he doesn't want you to do it in your own strength. He wants you to remain reliant upon him. The question is how? We finish strong, looking at this word, we finish strong in our lives by being fully reliant upon the Lord, knowing the scripture and through prayer. Nehemiah, throughout our text today, combats his enemies not only by being strong and courageous, but by praying in the word of God. You see him stand his ground and pray in verse 9. God strengthening my hands. And then the priest tries to trick him, and Nehemiah knows the word of God. He calls out the scheme, and then in verse 14, he prays, God, please ward off all the other people that are out here trying to get me. He's praying, and he knows the word of God. Listen, sometimes, if not most, especially as Americans, we get the the be strong and courageous encouragement, but we miss it when it comes to praying and being in the word of God. We miss it. Listen, listen. No great move of God happens in our life apart from us being devoted to the scriptures and prayer. Y'all don't believe me. Let's look at Jesus' life. Let's look at Jesus' life. Matthew 4. When Jesus is out in the wilderness, he's fasting and praying, and Satan comes to tempt him. How does he ward off Satan? By the word of God. When Jesus feeds 5,000 men, which probably is more like 20,000 women and children when you count them, with five loaves of bread and two fish, what's the first thing Jesus does? He blesses it and prays over it to multiply it. Jesus in Matthew 17, when he's casting out a demon out of this man, he says this kind can only happen through fasting and prayer. Jesus in John 17, before he goes to the cross, praying in the garden of Gethsemane for unity among his disciples, he says, I want them to be one like you and I are one. Like, like the God, the Father, and, and God, the Son, and through their oneness, through their love for one another, the world will see us. The world will come to know Jesus. And don't you know, because they held on to this and this prayer worked, we still have Christianity today? Uh, y'all missing this. Let me bring it home a little bit closer to home and more personal. If there had not been a mama in my life, that was praying for me while I was all in types of trouble, then I wouldn't be standing here today as your pastor. If there had not been a host of people praying around Kaylee and I who were engulfed in the scriptures as we planted this church, then there would not be a church. But y'all still not amen in me. If there had not been someone in your life praying for you when you didn't even know it, that read the word of God keeping you when you weren't keeping yourself, then you wouldn't be here today. How many of y'all can give thanks this morning because somebody has prayed for you even when you didn't know it? It's the goodness of God in your life. But the question we have to ask ourselves is what are we going to do now? Because it's our turn. I believe if we as a church stay rooted in God's word and in prayer while not giving into distractions and temptations, we can rebuild. 
and do more than we could ever imagine as a church. The people in this text, listen to this, they rebuild this wall in 52 days. That's crazy. They don't have modern technology and the machinery we have right now. It's taking them like five years to try to do I-290. <laughs> they still doing it. It took them 52 days to do this. And the people around say, well, this had to be done by God. Imagine what we could do in the city of Chicago. Imagine. As we finish, we read that their enemies didn't just go away, but they remained in oath to, buy, to Tobiah, one of the enemies. Listen, as I said before, as much, and I want to free somebody with this, as much as we want just peace and the end of turmoil in our lives here on this earth, that doesn't happen until we get to heaven. The enemies are still there in Nehemiah's life. And I'm not trying to make your life seem daunting and all of that. What I'm trying to do is encourage you because we won't get this type of peace, the end of all of this trauma and pain until we get to heaven. But until then, you know how we make it? We remain reliant, prayerful, engulfed in the scriptures, not giving way to distractions and put on the full armor of God. And in turn, I believe, as I said in the beginning, that God will do amazing things, not only in our life individually, but in this church corporately, just like he did with Nehemiah. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. Thank you, Lord, for this word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that even in the midst of our waywardness, in the midst of our going our own ways, Lord Jesus, you continually keep us. God, we do thank you for the times where even when we have gone off, you make a way for us to come back home. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that even in the midst of distractions and temptations, you still call us your son, your daughter. That You don't give up on us. God, I pray for the person right now that may have walked in here and they're still struggling. They're trying to figure out, do I, do I really believe, Lord, that they would know that they're in the right place? And right now they would just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Take the rightful place, your rightful place in my life as Lord of my life. I recognize I've been doing my own thing. I've been out here and I've been trusting in my own strength, my own power, and it's not getting me anywhere. Lord, I want you in my life. I turn from those things and I turn to you. God, I pray even in that prayer that that would be, if that's someone's heart, that they would understand now knowing that they accept you as Lord and Savior, that they are now yours. And I pray for the person that just prayed that is already a child of the King, that they would know that you are just and righteous to forgive. And although we may not have been finishing strong, we may not have been running the race that we need to be running, you are a God that is gracious and loving. 
and continually stays with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. God, I pray that that would rest, rule, and abide in our hearts. And that would give us the peace we need and the strength to continue to run this race that's set before us. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that all God's people said together, Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.